Do you want to capture meaningful conversations that you care about? Spotify for Podcasters allows you to make a podcast super effortlessly, distribute it automatically everywhere, completely free, and even earn money doing it. Did I say free while making money? What happened to capitalism? Use your phone or computer, hit press record, upload, and start creating today. You can also monetize your podcast super effortlessly through features like ads and subscriptions through the platform. If you have been following the Discover More journey, you know that I've been using Spotify for Podcasters since 2020. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to spotify.com slash podcasters. Spotify.com slash podcasters to start creating immediately. To make sure we're like habitually doing things that push ourselves outside of, not just outside of our comfort zone, but like beyond what we even thought was possible for us. Because for me, I look back and I'm like, oh, it was just like a haircut, whatever. Like I shave my head, it grows back, whatever. But like the moment was so symbolic of like, wow, for the first time, I'm like, not maybe not the first time, but like I'm really doing something solely because I want to do it. I'm ignoring like everyone else. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of Discover More where we strive to accelerate the learning process together through intentional dialogues. My name is Benoit. And my name is Aiden. This podcast was built on the foundation of approachable guests, synthesized experiences, and relatable lessons that will help you grow throughout your journey. Thank you for tuning in this week. We hope you enjoy and continue to discover more. Good morning, everyone. This week, we'll be chatting with an old friend of mine, Natalie Brown. For the past few years, Natalie has lived in Senegal and Laos, working in a wide array of interesting jobs. She's a student of spirituality, a passionate minimalist, and an aspiring YouTuber. Natalie, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here today. Yeah, happy to have you here. Uh, We're definitely excited to jump in, and I think the place we'd like to start uh, represents something that happened last year that when you first told me, I almost didn't believe. (laughs) And I think there's definitely a lot there, and it speaks to who you are as a person and what you find valuable. So for the audience that doesn't know, Natalie shaved her head last year for an assortment of reasons, so I was wondering if you could walk us through that story. What gave you that idea and why you ended up doing it? Sure. Well, I've, it's something I wanted to do for a while, actually. I guess for the a couple years before that, I was thinking about it. I remember I was on Instagram and I was random. It was one of those days where I was like, I really want to shave my head. And I put it on as my story, how you can do the polls. And I was like, should I get a pixie cut? And a lot of people said no. People DM'd me saying, don't touch it. I had like, all these people had strong opinions of what I did with my hair. And at that time, I took that seriously and I was like, oh, people don't want me to do it. But it was it was just something that it was one of those feelings of intuition. Like I knew this was something I had to do. I really don't know how else to explain it, except it just felt like the right thing. I knew I would have like a sense of freedom in doing it. And I have a few different reasons why I did it. So I had some health problems in the past that caused my hair to fall out. It was shedding gradually for a few years. And I think that happens with a lot of people. They have some hair loss going on, a lot of health issues, 
and then they feel like, oh, I just want to shave it. Or a lot of times women, we're just sick of taking care of it because it's so much work, so much time. I always hear women say, sometimes I just want to shave it off. And I was always like that too. I realized I got to a point where I had so much focus and obsession with my hair because I was so scared about it falling out. Every time I would see like strands in the shower, I would get anxiety. And I just started thinking to myself, what if I just shaved it off? Maybe that would take away the attachment I had to it and like the anxiety I felt. So I just kind of decided one day, I was like, you know, I want to do it. I think I'm going to do it. And I was going on vacation with my family to Sedona in Arizona. If you haven't been or if you don't know about it, it's a very like spiritual place. They say there's like energy vortexes. You do a lot of hiking and outdoor things. So for me, it was like the perfect time to shave my head, the perfect place to do it. Um, so I went to Sedona. I didn't tell my parents I was doing it until they dropped me off at the barber shop, not hair salon, my first time in a barber shop. <laughs> and right before I got out of the car, I was like, I should probably tell them so it's not as surprising afterwards. <laughs> so I was going in and I was like, just so you guys know, I'm cutting my hair really short. They looked at me like, what? My dad had like this bizarre look on his face. He was like, what do you mean you're cutting it short? I was like, like doing like the shaving symbol. I was like, you know, like getting it really short. He was like, no, you can't do that. They were like, you'll look like a boy. Why are you going to do that? Like, are you trying to, my mom literally said, are you trying to tell me you're gay? <laughs> <laughs> I hate saying that, but like, I have to tell it because that's what a lot of people would respond if their child does this. And I was so hesitant after that. I went into the barber shop and I just told the woman, I was like, you know, I don't know what to do. I came in here with the intention of shaving my head and now my parents are in my head telling me not to do it. My mom had my sister text me and say, don't shave your head. I was like getting bombarded from all over everyone telling me not to do it. But something in me, it was just still this voice like, Natalie, you know you have to do this. This is what you want to do. So the woman like did a section of it to see what it would look like. And I was like, just do it all. Just do it all. So she shaved it all off. It was the best feeling in the world. Like once I walked out of that barber shop, I just had no regrets. I just felt so light and like free. And I think it was for a lot of different reasons. Like one is I made this decision solely for myself. Like everyone around me was saying not to do it. Some people were like supportive, like a few friends. But other than that, like society was telling me not to. Every, everything we hear about how, like what makes a beautiful woman, it's like long hair and, you know, like all these feminine features. And I had so many fears about it. But once I finally did it. I just felt so free and I knew it was just like a life-changing experience and even talking about it I feel I feel weird making such a big deal out of it because to me it's like it's just hair like whatever it'll grow back in some cases but at the same time it's kind of symbolic of like how I felt about myself before and how I felt empowered to make a decision solely because I wanted to do it and no one else was telling me that I should do it so that's basically what it meant for me. It was a really big deal. Um, and it happened, yeah, almost exactly a year ago to this day, so. I love that for a lot of reasons. I think the two big things that represents for me is following intuition. A lot of times those intuitive voices that you kind of talked about are always in the background and sometimes contrary to a lot of 
things that are expected or perceptions and expectations of society and really leaning into those gives you like that freedom that you were kind of alluding to. And then secondly is the idea of almost like a new identity kind of thing, like detaching from something that made up your identity. I mean, I can only speak from a male perspective, but like your hairstyle becomes like a fundamental part of who you are, like what you look like in the mirror, how that represents you Mm -hmm. and really like shedding that completely off and detaching from that must have been a really empowering. Did you notice like an identity shift or like obviously the physical had changed, but for you, Natalie, as a person, did before and after you shaved your head, did there was there a representation of like an identity shift at all? Yeah, I think so. Like I. I definitely felt more confident and it's funny because I thought my parents when I came out of there I thought they were gonna be like oh why did you do it it looks like really bad or like why do you regret it I don't know something like that but they I think they saw my joy and the first thing they said was oh you look cute like it was just like so simple and like all that anxiety and fear and everything I felt before that was just all gone as soon as I did it and it was like it was like one of those things where, I don't, I don't know if you know Glennon Doyle, um, she's a writer and she wrote the book Untamed, I think it came out this year, I recently read it, but she did something very much like following her own path, she basically, she had a family with a husband and kids and she ended up divorcing her husband and marrying a woman, like she had like a very big drastic shift in her life, but one thing she says throughout the book is like, once you follow what you actually want to do that's actually better for the people around you like that will actually help the people around you because in her example her kids saw the joy she felt around this woman and they saw that she was following her heart and like truly happy when she was with this woman and that in itself was a good example for her kids Whereas if she had just done what society expected, what she she felt like she was supposed to do by staying with her husband, she really wasn't happy at all. So she could either be living this life really sad, really down, not being able to like show that to her kids, or she can make this change in her life and really show up. And the way her family reacted, now she's like friends with her husband, he's friends with her, her new wife, her kids are happy, they're following their passions and her son recently came out as gay and she was actually saying her husband said to her like Glennon I really don't think he would have been able to do this if you didn't show up the way you have in your life by marrying the woman and really following her heart so I definitely think that by shaving my head it it kind of seemed like people were treating me a little differently I had one person say to me like when you see a woman with a shaved head you just assume she's like really confident so she appears more confident because it's like why else would someone do this if they didn't feel good about themselves so I do think it had kind of like a ripple effect in me just feeling more empowered and more yeah just empowered to make my own decisions and and keep following my path so yeah you're a great storyteller that's a that's a really good story so a few things just to echo from what Aiden said that the idea of empowerment comes to my mind because when you look at the celebrity or the Hollywood world, uh, Emma Watson and uh, Ember Rose, they did something similar, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know if they had the exact same intuitive drive to what you did, but I think when I reflect on my life and like Aiden and myself, we recently did a 20 mile hike challenge mm-hmm. uh, after reading the book, The Impossible First by Colin Brady. And you don't know me that well, but I 
don't do cardio for the past <laughs> like i really the past three years even aside from covid i've might have ran six miles total in three years wow and i did a six mile challenge to seek some discomfort in my life because i was getting complacent life yeah. was getting good two weeks prior and then aiden said let's go a little bit deeper let's do something that you thought was impossible mm. so he challenged me to do this 20 mile challenge and we actually ended up doing 21.4 miles. Wow. Uh, I, he also wore steel-toed boots, which didn't help anybody. <laughs> I also brought the wrong boots, so yeah, the first two minutes, I will get blisters. But oh my gosh. Um, I only choose to self-disclose that because the level of empowerment I felt afterwards is very redefining, right? Because yeah. I lived in this framework that this is what I, Benoit Kim, was capable of doing. So, mm. And then the late, the later, the week later, I realized... I'm so much more capable of because people are telling me like, that's a horrible idea. I've had six friends texting me or DM me. They're like, dude, you're about to do a 20 mile hike for nine hours without any training. Cause I didn't do any training, no prep. They're like, you're going to get, you're seeking injury, not seeking discomfort. I said, well, maybe, but fuck it. Like I need yeah. to do this for myself. Yeah. And that speaks to the conviction that you had for your own journey where for even for guys who don't have as, as much like paternal or societal attachments to our hair, even if we get a ha- bad haircut at our barbers, we have a bad day. Like it ruins effectively yeah. our day forward, right? Mm-hmm. And then we complain, we're like, fuck, look, like, you know, because <laughs> oftentimes perception is reality. Yeah. And we care so much about what the people perceive us as, you know? And yeah. sure, it might have been a bad haircut, but to us, objectively, may not affect us that much, but it's the perceived feelings of others perception that affects us truly yeah so i do respect and yeah like a year ago when aiden first told me that a friend of his shaved her hair for the sake of it i'm like damn that's a ballsy move (laughs) you know but it it does make sense that you wanted to defy the paternal expectations you want to defy the disproportionate and very skewed framework for the woman this is what a beautiful woman should look like yeah Um, yeah and like what you were saying about like going on your 20 plus mile hike to an outsider, you might say like, whatever, it's, it's a long hike, you're, you're doing this, but it's, it's like symbolic because you're pushing yourself beyond what you knew you were capable of. And it's, it's like one thing is symbolic of so many other areas in your life. And it's important, I think, to make sure we're like habitually doing things that push ourselves outside of, not just outside of our comfort zone, but like beyond what we even thought was possible for us because for me, I look back and I'm like, oh, it was just like a haircut, whatever. Like I shaved my head, it grows back, whatever. But like the moment was so symbolic of like, wow, for the first time, I'm like, not maybe not the first time, but like I'm really doing something solely because I want to do it. I'm ignoring like everyone else because I'm, yeah, I think I'm like a, a people pleaser sometimes. I like, I, I really care what other people think. I always ask other people what I should do because I'm really indecisive and something like that. I was like, wow, I just, I just straight up did it. And I didn't listen to what other people were telling me. So yeah, I think there's something about like taking control of what you know you want to do and not really listening to what other people tell you. Definitely. And kind of on that, I'm personally a big believer in momentum, kind of like those small things snowball into larger decisions. So even if that's a one decision where you're leaning into what you knew was right, leaning into your intuition when it comes to a haircut, that then bridges into using intuition when it comes to where to move or where to go to for a job. Like 
I think by doing those small things, it often creates a ripple effect and allows you to make bigger decisions, bigger changes down the road. And I know personally that that comes up in my life time and time again across whatever relevant aspect of it is. Mm-hmm. So I'm definitely curious about when you moved back to Laos, I believe it was at the time, correct? Like you shaved your head while you were in Sedona yeah. and then moved back to Laos. Yeah. What was the perceived expectation of like arriving in Laos with a shaved head and then what did that reality look like? <laughs> was there like cultural differences? Is that a common thing for, is it Laosian people? Yeah, it was, it was interesting. So, I mean, one thing I should mention is I just thought of this when I was in the airport leaving Laos to go to Sedona to come back to the States and then go to Sedona, there were some monks in front of me in the security line and they were women and they all had shaved heads, like shaver then shaved, like bald, you know how they get it really close. And in that moment, I know in that moment I was like, damn, I want to be like that. Like I, (laughs) (laughs) and that was just a moment of like, yeah, I'm going to do this. But when I came back, I mean, it, it definitely was against the cultural norms like femininity there is like a big thing like women have there's like a stereotype you know like women have like long thick hair and unless you're a monk like women like their hair long and they like to look feminine and dress feminine and um it was definitely a little bit of a shock yeah i was teaching in a school at the time and it was pretty awkward having to like face my students because they they knew me as like someone with long hair and that that felt a little uncomfortable for me like seeing i mean it's hard to say like seeing people for the first time like friends i had there they would say like oh it looks great like because i don't know i shared it on social media so some people saw it ahead of time i mean yeah overall it was like anywhere else. Like people see you for the first time and they're like surprised by it, whatever, but it's, they get used to it. it. It didn't really end up being too big of a deal. And then I was, I guess at that point, I was only in Laos for another month before moving back to the US. So I hear you. Um, I guess, could we explore a little bit of the international travel side of your experience? I know that's definitely been a big part of your life for the last, what, three to four years, I suppose. Like what, caused you to move cross-nation, cross-continent from (laughs) school at Elon over to, what was it, Senegal to begin and then Laos? Mm -hmm. I was wondering if you could walk us through that journey a little bit. Sure, yeah. I studied international studies in college. I had a concentration in Africa. I've always been really interested in Africa for some reason. I'm not sure why. I just remember reading books about it, watching movies, and uh, when I, I knew I wanted to be an international studies major. And um, I've just always been fascinated with the world and learning from other cultures. So I studied abroad in Ghana my sophomore year, and that was my first taste of Africa, West Africa. And I loved it. I knew I was going to be back. Um, And then I I did a whole semester in Tanzania, East Africa. And it's, it's actually funny how things worked out. So I was supposed to study abroad for the semester in Senegal. But Senegal at the time, that's when Ebola was first happening. And my advisors were saying, we really recommend you don't go to Senegal. You should really go somewhere else. You can even go to France if you want. I was like, no, but I want to be in Africa. And ideally I would be in Senegal, but I ended up quote unquote settling on Tanzania, which ended up being an amazing experience. And I don't have any regrets about that. But then as soon as I, graduated college, I always told myself, like, I'm going to get back to Senegal one way or another. 
I know I'm gonna end up there. I just, I just knew it. So I would talk like this to people and say like, yeah, they would say like, so what do you wanna do after college? I was like, eh, I don't know. I'll probably just end up in Senegal or something. Like I would literally just talk like that. And then I did the, an internship with Kiva, a microfinance nonprofit in San Francisco right after college. And while I was there, there was a, a woman who worked at Kiva. She was telling us about um, an experience she had in Senegal working for this nonprofit called Myagro. It sounded really boring to me at the time. I was like, oh, okay, like the work doesn't sound that interesting, but cool that she was in Senegal. And then I started researching and saw that they had job openings there. So I applied and I had some connections, so that definitely helped. And I ended up getting the job. So I moved to Senegal from San Francisco. I was living there for two years doing this job that I really liked. Um, I really learned French when I was there. It was really amazing experience. And um, from Senegal is when I went to Laos. I met Pat actually, he was moving to Laos <laughs> for work. And then I ended up moving there too. I knew I wanted to travel in Southeast Asia after Senegal. So went to Laos, did some, that was really just like, it wasn't really moving there for work. It was more moving there for like travel, culture, doing some like part-time work on the side, but really just like experiencing Southeast Asian culture. Um, and then after Laos is when I came back here. But yeah, it was a lot of synchronicities throughout that time that led me to Senegal and to Laos, so. I just want to highlight something for the listeners. And then the one I picked up is in college where 99.9% .9 of college students are caught up in the, the glamours and the uh, like social medias and everything. And especially people love Europe. And you actually turned down France because you <laughs> wanted to go to Africa, which is pretty unheard of, especially for like college students, right? Because in college, especially France is the city of romance. It's where mm -hmm. every girls and guys dreams to visit there, especially for study abroad. But so that says that I don't know what the inkling or what the connection is, why you're so driven to go to Senegal to be specifically, or just Africa. Mm -hmm. But it shows that you are very di different from the get-go. Mm -hmm. And your usage of terminology such as synergies and symbolism, it says that you're very spiritual as a person. Yes. Or at least that's the idea of spirituality, aside from my introduction, is something that's very apparent from your storytelling. Mm -hmm. So I would love to dive into, because Many people who have a lot of traverse and immigration stories, they do because of their immigrant themselves or they have families in different countries, so they had to travel, but you had zero ties with Africa. Mm -hmm. You had zero ties with Laos. You had zero ties with the continent that's 8,000 plus miles away from the other side. Mm -hmm. So for someone like you who has zero ties like that to venture into the frontiers of unknown and to like an entirely different culture, because it's not like you're going to Europe. There's a lot of similarities between Europe and the Western culture, like the U.S., but Africa is very different. Yeah. Ghana is very different. Mm -hmm. I love to talk about the spirituality because I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but that sounds like the driving force for a lot of your international travels. Yeah, I'm a very spiritual person. I, I really, I really appreciate my like connection with the universe. I'll just say, when I say universe, you can say God or you know whatever you believe in. Just like this higher energy source that's kind of like we're all connected by but i i don't know i guess i started 
experiencing a lot of synchronicities in college. What do you mean by that? I think everyone here knows by synchronicities, but just in case people haven't heard this term before, I think your examples will shine a light on what they are, but yeah. how would you define them and then what did you see come up? I would define them as serendipitous coincidences. So basically just, you can just say the word coincidence to make it um, more common, but just weird things happening that are, you can either say they're a weird coincidence or you can believe that there's like something to it. Um, so yeah, I think I can give some examples. When I was, when I got the job in Senegal, I didn't know if I was gonna take it because at the time I was living in San Francisco. I had a boyfriend. I applied for another job that was based like in California or somewhere else in the US. I had like other things that could have kept me in the US, but back to that intuition with the hair shaving, like I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Like one way, like, so if anyone's questioning, like how do I follow my intuition? Like, I don't even know what it means. One way is to just look at the way you respond to things, like pay attention to your, the way your energy and your mood shifts based on like what's happening around you. It was actually really cool. The woman who, she was like the VP of development or something for, for Miagra, the organization I ended up working for in Senegal. She came up to San Francisco. She met me at a bar to do like an interview. And I was so nervous. I was like, oh my God, like I'm about to meet her in this bar. Can I have a beer? I was like chugging beers. I was talking to her. <laughs> and I actually told her about a synchronicity story because when I was at Kiva, you know how they, when you start like an internship or a job, they ask you for like a bio about yourself. I was fresh out of college. I didn't have much to say. So in my bio, I literally wrote, Natalie Brown is a recent college grad. She's majored in international studies and she hopes to one day live in Senegal where she can speak French while living in Africa. <laughs> like word for word, that's what it said. And she told me I got the job at the end of this discussion, this interview. She just, she was like, well, I'm happy to say like, we want to offer you this job. And I was like so excited. I was like, oh my God, I have to show you this. And I showed her a printed out like bio that I had at Kiva that said like, Natalie hopes to live in Senegal. She was like, oh my God, can I keep this? And she ended up like taking it back with her cause she was based in California. That was one thing that was really cool. But after that, I mean, just paying attention to how I reacted. I was so excited. I remember walking out of that bar like a new woman. I was like, oh my God, like my life's about to change. Like I might be going to Senegal. But then the logic kicks in where I was like, wait, I have a boyfriend. Like I have responsibilities. I have to be in the US. I don't know, like logic started coming in and I didn't know what to do. So one day I was like, you know what? I like communicate with the universe by just talking to it. Like, like I'm journaling or talking to God. I was like, Universe, if I should move to Senegal, if I should take this job, send me a hummingbird. Like that's the symbol. I want to see if this is something I should do. I was living downtown San Francisco. There were no hummingbirds around. I tried to pick a symbol. I don't know why it just popped in my head. It was the first thing that came up and I was like, okay, this would be kind of rare to see one based on my current circumstances. Wait, sorry. So you intentionally chose a very rare, almost impossible to see <laughs> thing in hoping that that is your way of communicating with God or the universe to confirm what you want to do? Yes. I just had a lot of trust in it and I didn't know. I was like, if this is something that I really should be doing, I'll see one. And it happened all the time after that. Like 
I was babysitting a lot at that time. I had a lot of part-time jobs. One of them was babysitting. I was sitting on the floor playing with stickers with the little boy. He was like five years old. And I pick up a sticker and it was a sparkling hummingbird. I was like, all right, that's kind of weird. I like snuck it in my pocket. I was like, all right, that's one. After that, I was like, okay, maybe it was just a coincidence, you know, like not a big deal. And then I was out to dinner with my boyfriend and his parents. She was describing a story of when they were vacationing. I actually think they were vacationing in Sedona. They were like in Arizona. And she was talking about the hummingbirds that were next to their like condo they were staying in. And it was weird. I was like, oh, it's weird that she's talking about hummingbirds right now. So <laughs> I was like, okay, that was another example. I'm like mentally taking note of all these. I'm gonna skip ahead to the best one because there were a lot of hummingbirds at that time. I decided to take the job in Senegal. Shortly after arriving there, I had to do orientation in Mali. So they fly me to Mali. I'm in a taxi from the airport going to the hotel. Didn't speak much French at this time because I didn't yet live in a French speaking place. So I learned it in school. I had like a little bit. I had no idea what anyone was saying. The taxi driver wrote the name of the hotel on a piece of paper for me. So I at least knew like the name of the place I was going. Um, it said Calibri. I was like, I don't know what the heck this means, but whatever. I get to the hotel. I Google, what does Calibri mean? It means hummingbird in French. <laughs> Whoa. This was like two weeks after being in Senegal. Whoa. I was like, what are the odds? And why is there a hotel named Hummingbird? Hummingbird like, Hotel. <laughs> so that was just like the end confirmation. I was like, you know, I'm in the right place. I don't have anything else to guess. Like, thank you, universe. And moments like that, I just feel so like connected because it's like I'm asking the universe to send me this sign and then I'm seeing it everywhere. I just... I don't know what to name it. I don't know if it's God, if it's energy, if it's universe, if it's like going back to the law of attraction, it's like our thoughts creating our reality. Maybe it was like me subconsciously attracting hummingbirds into my life. Whatever it was, like I've had so many experiences of things like that. And that's why I say I'm a very spiritual person because I just believe in this connection that we all have. So those are the crazy, a few of the crazy synchronicity stories. <laughs> uh, that's a very interesting and almost unbelievable stories <laughs> that all the synergies and all the signs aligns to a point that finally gave you that confirmation and affirmation that you are truly following your path intended path that reminds me of a saying i've heard that signs are always everywhere around you but it's up to the person to have the humility or to have the receptivity to receive those signs mm -hmm. and that also reminds me of a thing that i listened recently by morgan freeman I'm very spiritual and also religious at the mm -hmm. same time because yeah. I think in a lot of sense are very connected mm -hmm. and the Morgan Freeman says when you are praying for courage to God God doesn't give you courage he gives you circumstances where you can test out the courage yeah when you pray for patience God doesn't give you patience God gives you circumstances where you're allowed to be patient so I think that's exactly to what you're speaking to where yeah. You are seeking signs from the universe, the God, higher power, whatever. And he's not going to just give you a physical hummingbird the next day. But he gives, he presents opportunities for you to seek out and to receive those signs. So that's an incredibly yeah. powerful story. That's so true. I never heard that, like what Morgan Freeman said about that. But it's, it's so true. I can, I can think of instances where I've... I've asked for that, like, oh, wow, I really wish I was more, like, like you said, I don't know, um, courageous or, like, 
not so worried about stupid things at work. Like that's a big one for me, like caring so much what people think at work. But then instances will come up where it, it really tests me. Like someone will send me like a scary email or something. And that's a moment where I can either break down and say like, oh, why is this happening? Or I can really like test it out and be like, I'm going to respond this way. I'm going to like be calm. So I think that's a really good example. I think the, the saying test it out, just you mentioned in passing, but I think unfolds like an entirely huge reframe of just everything that we see could be viewed as a test of like, oh, this is a test of patience. Oh, a test of courage kind of thing. A lot of times, I know personally, I'll get stuck in like the circumstance or the event itself. Like, oh, why does this happen? You know, it's the reframe of why does this happen to me to then why does this happen for me? Right. Mm -hmm. Which it sounds like that's the reframe of like seeing that test of you're not going to just suddenly get blessed with courage or blessed with patience. You're going to have opportunities that test those that allow those things to happen for you and allow you to earn those stripes sort of deal. Yeah. Which I think is just a really powerful reframe of just changing, changing the narrative of those things. Yeah. And I think what you, your whole story just really represents being receptive to the signs. Personally, one of my favorite books is The Alchemist and they talk about mm -hmm. that a ton is just following the signs, kind of just those weird coincidences that are put in front of you and you have to pay attention to them, but that first comes with the awareness of it, of what's happening, what might that indicate. Yeah. I mean, I see small things like that of like, what road not to go down. Sometimes it's just a vibe of like, something weird's going on, you don't necessarily want to pass by it, or just like, just things that are almost unarticulable of yeah. why you shouldn't do a specific thing or why yeah. you should do that specific thing. It's like that gut reaction, like you said, right? The feeling or the energy that that yeah. specific decision brings you, mm -hmm. I think is really valuable and like kind of a tangible takeaway of intuition. Cause it is yeah. all speculative a little bit. Like mm -hmm. intuition's hard to explain, yeah. but it's really the energy behind it, it seems. Yeah, and that's the whole like idea behind like religion and spirituality. It's like this belief and this faith in what we can't see. Because if I tell these stories to people who aren't receptive, like you guys are, they're like, what, you're crazy, like whatever. But it's done so much for me believing this stuff. And yeah, that's all I can say. It's like, I know it's a good thing. I know it's led me to great places. And that's why I feel so strong in my like spiritual beliefs and feelings, I guess. <laughs> and I think it's super valuable. One of the books that we did a discover more books about is stillness is the key by Rowling Holiday. And he argues that even if you're like very in the weeds of science and like want to be an atheist from a science perspective, still believing in a higher power is just beneficial because it gives you humility. It allows you to see a higher power and trust that that is always has not necessarily your best interest, but like the world's best interest at hand. He argues in the book that atheism and not believing in a higher power breeds like an egocentrism a lot because you're just focused internally on yourself rather than the external universe, God, higher power kind of thing. So mm. like, I think that makes it a little bit tangible. It's even if you want to associate with the science of not believing in religion, just the faith really like brings the best out of a lot of people. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I've uh, listened to a podcast on the Tim Ferriss podcast with a pretty prominent physicist, uh, what a really smart dude, and he distinguishes between the science with a capital S and science with a soft S, and he argues that right now there's a lot of community in the science on Twitter, whatever, bashing on all these spirituality and all these other disciplinary field that's not quote-unquote aligned with the science. 
but he says that's wrong because science with a capital S is a fallible. Because science means that it is until it's not.、Mm. Whether it's a theory or a laws or hypothesis, they are scientific until they're proven to not be. And then how science was built since like thousands of years ago is that as soon as you can prove something to be not right, then they replace that.、Mm. Because so that he says that entire science is should be fallible because that's the basis of what science is. Yeah. In that sense, spirituality and religion. You're believing in something that you can't quite see or prove, or that's tangible. Yeah. But it is because, like, it is until it's not. And obviously, for spirituality, there's some difference with science, where the point of spirituality isn't to prove that higher being or God or universe exists. I mean, universe does exist, but you know, and then higher. So I think there is definitely a lot of similarities between. You can still be scientifically minded, but still subscribe to these、uh, ideas. Yeah.、Um, yeah, and so with that being said, you've shared your spiritual journey thus far,、uh, but where did it start? Which was the genesis or the catalyst to, I guess, first planted that spiritual seed, or that made you be aware of such thing as spirituality? Yeah.、Um, it probably goes back to my dad is very like spiritual, so I was raised Catholic. My dad was raised Methodist, but he's pretty. He never really like went to church or anything when. When I was around, I don't know about when he was younger, but I just always grew up with knowing that he was a very spiritual person. Like he would take us to like crystal shops. He's the one who took us to Sedona, so he he really believes in like the energy of the vortexes and like aliens and all this stuff that we we might not be able to prove. So I think that was definitely my first, I guess, like entry into all this stuff. I think he might be the first one who introduced me to the idea of meditation too. I remember just having conversations with him about it. Oh wait, I'm supposed to sit here and just like do nothing, or oh, focus on my breathing. Okay, like that's that's interesting. And I guess as I got older, I just I don't know, got really interested in this stuff. I really don't know how I first got into the law of attraction. I think that really like confirmed a lot of my like spiritual. Beliefs because I I definitely believe in something like the law of attraction just because of my experiences with it. But I remember maybe like reading some books about it, and as I got older, just just really leaning into this idea that maybe we're all energy rather than just like physical beings. And then that kind of just led me to having more of these like energetic spiritual experiences. And I also just really enjoy like having these beliefs because it, like I was saying, it just makes life like enjoyable. And I've it led me down such like amazing paths. And I don't know how else to explain it. It's kind of like you can't really like put it into words. But I imagine it's how people feel when they like identify with a certain religion or when they, I don't know, people who. Like I had a friend in Senegal who became Muslim, and he was like, "Wow, this is it for me!" Like I, and he was atheist before, and now he's going from atheist to Muslim. That was like a huge change. I was like, "Wow!" So I think it was just accepting that I really identify as like a spiritual person, and that's kind of, I guess, what led me to my current beliefs. Yeah, very cool. One of the things that you mentioned that I'd like to dive into is the law of attraction, because to be honest, I think it gets a bad rap.、Uh, <laughs> a lot of you know online, whether it's Instagram or YouTube,、yeah. just say like, "Oh, you write, I am a millionaire, a hundred thousand times, and then you become a millionaire." But that's probably not the case in real life. In your experience, 
Uh, I personally have found that it's like that balance of the intention of attracting those things to you, but obviously you have to do the tangible, the realism work of that. Like, yes, embodying both the spiritual and the realistic of that law of attraction. How would you explain it? Obviously, it's not (laughs) writing something down over and over again, but or maybe if you can't explain, but like a example, I think the I will be living in Senegal to speak French yeah. three years out, I think speaks beautifully to it. But yeah. how would you articulate that difference of just the spiritual and just the realism of it? Also, just for clarity purposes, for some listeners, could you first define what law of attraction is? Sure. Then... So the law of attraction is, <laughs> gosh, it's this belief that you are creating your reality you're attracting things into your life by the energy and the thoughts and the feelings that you're giving off so it's like you are creating your reality with your thoughts and your feelings and like the law of attraction it's called a law because there's this belief that this is how it has to go like if you're in a really like low place with like feeling really bad and terrible the law of attraction would mean that things are going to come into your life matching that frequency they would say so like matching that low energy so for example if you wake up and you like spill coffee on yourself and then you're like oh like that's terrible and then you like get in a car accident on the way to work and then like everything's terrible and then you get to work and you get fired i don't know this is just like an extreme example but that's kind of a quick example of like what the law of attraction is but ways that I've seen it in my life, I have so many examples of this, but I think, I think like you said, the example of saying I was going to be living in Senegal, that's the perfect example of how the law of attraction works. You just have to act like you already have it. So like what you were saying about like writing down that you're going to be a millionaire on a notebook or whatever, they would say that in order to actually attract that into your life, you don't want to have this feeling of lack. You don't want to feel like you don't have the million dollars. Instead of writing it down like, oh, I really want a million dollars, you have to just act as if you already have it. So what would you do in the morning if you had a million dollars? Like you have to put yourself in the mindset and the feeling as if it's already yours. So the example of when I moved to Senegal, when I got that job, later in college, I would act as if that was already going to happen. It wasn't even a question. Like I wasn't even questioning, am I going to end up in Senegal? I would just talk as if I was, I had so much like effortless confidence in it. I was just like, yeah, I'm going to probably just end up in Senegal, like whatever that it was no surprise when that job came up and I suddenly find myself living in Senegal because I've always talked as if that's what was going to happen. And I think, like you said, it could be a balance between like the spiritual just attracting things to you or I was so focused on like yes I'm gonna end up in Senegal that then oh this job opportunity came up in Senegal of course I'm gonna like take it because that's my intention like that's so I I do think there's like intentions there's like you have your personal choice to follow things that will lead you to achieving whatever it is you want to achieve But at the same time, I have a lot of examples of when there wasn't much. I mean, it's always intention, but one other crazy example, I think I told you about this, Aiden, but when I was in Tanzania, I was doing a safari and it was like, we're all riding on top of these Jeeps. Um, We're trying to spot all these animals. It was like a two day safari. We were in this national park 
and we're just trying to spy as many cool animals as we can. So we've seen the, the classics, we saw some giraffes, we saw some elephants, but the trip was starting to like come to an end. We had like, I don't know, 15 minutes left in the Jeeps. The guy leading the trip, so he was, he worked at the park. He told us, he was like, now see if you guys can spot a leopard because leopards are like really rare to see in this park. So at that moment, I was like, I want to spot a leopard. And in my head, I consciously thought, I was like, I'm going to test out the law of attraction and see if I can do something as extreme as this. <laughs> Guys, I'm not even kidding. This is a real story. So I was so focused on seeing a leopard, like in my head, I wasn't just imagining seeing one. I was imagining how I would feel. I was imagining how other people would react. So I was imagining spotting one in the trees because that's where they hang out. I was imagining getting really excited and telling everyone and I was imagining everyone else being really excited like oh my god like look she saw a leopard like Natalie saw a leopard <laughs> so it started like I was doing that for like five to ten minutes of like concentration like I was like just focus like just feel it try to like feel it out and then I was like all right maybe this won't happen I gave up aka I stopped getting attached to wanting to see one and then I saw a cheetah. As soon as I stopped feeling like attached to seeing a leopard, I saw a cheetah. I was like, guys, there's a cheetah. No one else saw it. We all looked. We started following it with the, with the Jeep. I can send you guys pictures of it because we took a video, we saw pictures. We're following it for like, you know, that's what you do, like stalk the animals. You try to get as close as you can. It eventually just like walked away casually. After I saw it, the group was like, oh my god, the, our trip leader, Justin, he was like, all right, everyone buys Natalie a beer after this. I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then um, they started talking more, and they were saying, the guy who worked in the park was like, a cheetah is more rare to see than a leopard. They were like, this we haven't seen in the park for like nine years. It was something like they had never, <laughs> never seen one. Justin, the, our trip leader, his son, he was like 12 or something. He was like, wow, I've never seen a cheetah before. And they like lived in Tanzania. They like did the safari every semester with students. It was just like an amazing experience. And I always laugh because I, I always tell people the story because it's just such a prime example of like, that's exactly how the law of attraction works. And people say, people who are like Rhonda Burns, who are, like the people who like are really into the law of attraction, who created it, whatever. They say when you ask for it, the universe gives it back to you like tenfold. Like they give you more than what you asked for. And that was the prime example because it's like not only, it didn't just give a leopard, it gave something that's more rare to see, which is a cheetah. So now I have like a spiritual connection to cheetahs. <laughs> yeah, Natalie, uh, thanks for sharing another incredible, uh, almost unbelievable story. So yeah, it sounds like you have had the fortune to be blessed with many synergistic experiences throughout your life. But once again, it's like the power of receptive that Aiden talked about where you are able to like witness those instruments of the universe because you're being receptive towards them. And I just want to share a something more, I guess, a little bit less extreme example of my own <laughs> uh, to provide a little bit more context for the listeners because I'm sure many of the listeners are having doubts with the synergies yeah. and these intuitions instances. And so... Yeah, as Aiden knows, and as many of the listeners know, I used to be a management consultant straight out of college because we all went to Penn State. Mm. And I was chasing after that, you know, prestige finance for a very long time. Six months in, super miserable, hated my life. 
And I was like, what can I do? And I realized I want to take a hard pivot into the nonprofit realm and start working for policy. So if you're in policy, nonprofit realm, it's very hard for you to transition and pivot and penetrate into the private sector. But conversely, it's also true. It's hard to pivot from private sector into the nonprofit public sector Mm -hmm. because they're like, oh, cool, you're a consultant, but you have no experience working for us. Like, why would he want you? Because the prestige isn't transferable. Mm -hmm. It's prestige uh, within its own lane. But I believed, I was so desperate. I was like, I need this purpose. I need a better job than private consulting. I need to work for a nonprofit. So I started praying mm-hmm. and I started manifesting unknowingly. Like I, I need to be a nonprofit. I need to be a nonprofit. I didn't really act like it. I didn't know the notion or the concept of law of attraction at the time, but I was so desperate and I prayed every single night. I even fasted to pray, which is like mm-hmm. a pretty extreme form yeah. of praying. I was very earnest about it. And like literally the day after my two weeks notice kicked in, I quit. I quit without having a job. Stupid move. I would not recommend, but I was very desperate. Yeah. The day after I quit my job, I came home and I got an email from this, the largest uh, nonprofit in for, for teaching urban called Teach for America. Wow. And I was actually recruited by them many times when I was in college, but I was like, what the fuck is Teach for America? I don't want to be a teacher. Mm-hmm. Never even opened an email. I didn't know anything about it. But the day after, I did some research and I was like, this would be a perfect pivoting point into the nonprofit sector because Teach for America services a lot of marginalized communities through urban teaching. Mm-hmm. And I was able to, like everything I have now for my policy work for the past four or five years, all started from my pivoting moment into Teach for America. Wow. And that email appeared in my mailbox the day after the I day quit, after. after my desperate praying attempts. So just to share that, obviously your example is more lively and definitely more uncommon no that's that's such a good example i think yeah i think that's it's such a good example that like things like this happen and if we give it a name and say like yeah i I probably brought this from praying and like really i think that really like reconfirms like spirituality or just like this this idea that we're all like energetic and connected and i think that's really cool Yeah, and I think if anyone still has doubts around a lot of these ideas, I'd recommend checking out the work of Dr. Joe Dispenza because Mm. he's actually being studied at numerous medical labs across the country. And his whole idea is heart coherence. So by entering a meditative state and really, I guess, creating an energetic state that's high and attractive through these meditation techniques, I'm not super familiar with them so it's tough to like explain the science behind it but they're studying it with higher health outcomes and actually the reversal of a lot of chronic diseases Mm -hmm. so it's almost like a meditative workshop for people with chronic pain and seemingly irreversible diseases so it's pretty astounding and profound results that are all coming from this energetic law of attraction kind of spirituality approach But it's exciting to see now in 2020, it's becoming studied by science and proven out for the, you know, doubtful and or numbers thinking uh, people that might be listening. So I would definitely recommend checking those things out. That's really cool. So from there, I'd like to come back to one of the things you mentioned about the Jaguar story and that as you were manifesting, as you called it, and attracting this leopard into your life and the reality on the safari, you mentioned that you detached from the outcome. Right. So you were thinking about it for 10 minutes and then you just completely removed an attachment to 
seeing this cheetah. So what does that represent to you? I think it also brings in the decision to cut off your hair as well as your interest in minimalism. So why is detachment important to you? And really, I'd like you to unfold some of your perspectives around it. That's a big one. Um, <laughs> so I guess starting with the, the cheetah incident and synchronicities, law of attraction, I think, I think the way it works is, like I said, like when when you have a really strong attachment to the outcome, not always, but sometimes that means you're feeling lack, like you're feeling as if you don't have it. It's really like ironic and hard to wrap your head around, but it's like by asking for a million dollars, for example, my subconscious feels as if I don't have it. And that's how the law of attraction is supposed to work it's not that you're asking for it as if you don't have it. It's that you're being a millionaire. It's that you're like feeling as if you do have it. So there isn't any room for lack. There isn't any room for, I don't have a million dollars. And that's supposed to be how the energy works. But as far as like non-attachment in general goes, this is just something I've, I've kind of been into the past couple years. Just this whole idea of like being happier with less. When I was in Laos, I was living out of like a, a small suitcase and everything I owned pretty much fit in that suitcase. And I would wear the same, like, I would rotate the same, like, three or four t-shirts. I had, like, two pairs of shorts. I really didn't have much, but I, I didn't care. And I love, basically, going down to, like, interests and fashion and stuff. I love having less. I love, like, not having the responsibility of, like, oh, I have to wear something else today or... I'm like I said, I'm very indecisive. So not having to wake up every day and be like, oh, what should I wear today? It works really nicely that I don't care about fashion that much and that I really like having a small amount of things and that I'm very indecisive. So minimalism works great for me. Since being in DC, it's been different because my parents have, they recently moved and they actually had a lot of junk of mine from my childhood that they have in storage. So when I moved to this apartment, I had to go through all that junk and basically get rid of so many things. And yes, I like to live minimalist principles. I like non-attachment, but I'm also a very sentimental person and I like holding on to things. And I just, I was going through like old photos of friends and old concert tickets, like what we were talking about. And it's really hard to do that because it feels like it's something real. It's like, wait, this con it's not just a paper concert ticket. It like symbolizes like those years in high school when I saw like Kendrick Lamar for the first time or whatever. <laughs> so recently I've been really going through that whole process of like just getting rid of things, digitizing the photos, like just taking a picture of them saying I'll have them on my computer. But there is something really like, I guess, empowering about not being attached to anything because that means we don't have a dependency on it anymore. So like when I was in Laos, I loved not, not having a lot of stuff. I loved living out of suitcase because I just felt so light and I felt like I can survive in this world without much like material possessions. And that's just such a great feeling because as we can say, we live in like a consumeristic culture and everything is telling us that we need to buy things to be happy. But by rejecting that idea, it's the same as when I shaved my head. It's like rejecting the idea that I need to have this physical thing in order to be happy. Like, why should we 
be relying on something outside of ourselves for our internal happiness. And that was really symbolized in my hair. Once I shaved it, not only was I like not sad, but I was actually really happier than I was before I shaved it. And I've just been seeing a theme that like the less we have, sometimes the happier we are. And I think it comes down to this subconscious like if I subconsciously know I have all these physical attachments and I need this and this and this, then I also know I'm dependent on those things. And if those things are taken away from me, I'm going to be like really upset. So minimalism is something I've like recently gotten into. And I just love the idea that we shouldn't rely on things outside of ourselves for our happiness. And that goes back to my spirituality because I believe that God isn't something outside of ourselves. I think a lot of times religions teach us that it's some external thing or it's an external man or a statue or thing that we need to like go seek out. Everything that I've learned is that it's inside of us and all of my spiritual experiences have come from within and they've come from like me having this like internal dialogue with the higher power. I think when it ultimately comes down to it, it's like nothing else really matters except me and that like connection to to this energy. And it's like it's like what we're all made of. So it's like all that really matters is like you, your connection to energy and your connection with other people because we're all energy and anything outside of that, it's just like physical objects that are going to disappear eventually anyways. (laughs) Definitely. There's one big quote that I always come back to. I want to say it's from the Buddha, but I'm not, don't quote me on it, but everything you need is within really like Mm. everything, every answer, every question, every desire, like it's all within. It just takes some like exploring, pulling back curtains, like navigating how exactly to see them. And I think what you mentioned of like it all being within is just something that people need to like explore a little bit more. It's definitely like a difficult concept. I mean, I'm continually trying to explore because that's like the narrative is that a higher power is external to all of us is like the narrative that's continuously painted, but really like looking within, I think you discover a lot more. That's why uh, meditation Mm -hmm. has been so valuable. Just really getting still and like you can, like you mentioned, connect, connect with that energy of the stillness through meditation and really meditation is just like looking at what you're thinking and feeling about yeah which i think is really interesting and what you mentioned about the detachment of material possessions i think is super relevant because when you're consistently chasing after it's like a carrot on the string of like the next car the next paycheck we always talk about the i'll be happy when syndrome and chasing those external items promotions it's i guess detracting from the focus internally Um, So that's something that we talk a lot about. And minimalism, as much as I'd like to speak to it, I definitely don't think I can because that's a problem I have. I like having an assortment of things and like that's something I'm definitely working on, just decluttering because I definitely recognize the ethos of it. Just less things to depend on. It kind of makes you closer to those things that you do have Mm -hmm. and also like less reliant on a number of other things like if anything in the room breaks then you're like oh that's broken like i have to fix it it's just more things to think about and potentially fix Mm -hmm. so i know ben's a very large minimalist and has been for years so i'll love to hear your perspectives around those yeah uh thanks aiden i could relate very deeply to your minimalistic practices until recently with your conundrum with your sentimental (laughs) items in dc because i do think that objects are objects and it's easy to attach from those objects when they're lifeless yeah. but i think those emotions and those sentiment and the memories give them life so yeah. it's definitely difficult to navigate so i hope you 
could come up with a happy balance. Yeah. Yeah. So I've been uh, practicing minimalist for the past four years. Wow. Ever since I quit my job at consulting, because when I was consultant, I was all about the glamour, yeah. the, the flashiness. It's all symbolic. Once you did uh, what you wanted to do, yeah, everything else like the, started falling into place. <laughs> yeah, and it's especially like during the private sector, like where everyone has that persona. Yeah. It's almost like dick measuring contest in and out yeah. of the office, so you almost had to, but. So after that, I decided to look into minimalism, and I do think that there's a lot of empirical evidence suggests that happiness is from elimination, it's not from addition. So people seldomly get happier when they add more items into their resume or add more items into their life. But once you eliminate things, then I think it's easier for people to navigate the complexity of life. Yeah. And what you speak to is the gap between having a lot of things and finding happiness. Because if you think about it, we've been, we're more powerful, thousand times more than the, when we're in the tribal days uh, versus like tribal humans. And, but we're not a thousand times happier than the people yeah. in the tribal yeah. days. But if you look at the, the linear progression of humanity in the history, we, are, we now have ownerships over thousands times more items than the people have ever had. Yeah. We have thousand times more access to technologies and advancements and entertainment than the people had in the tribal days. Mm-hmm. But there's no data suggests that we're a thousand times happier. So there is definitely imbalance between that correlation because like, why aren't we that much happier? Why, are, right? why do we have such high depression and depression, suicide rates? Depression, mental health yeah. challenges, um, like why, you know? And obviously everyone here have heard of the term codependence and emotional codependence in yeah. a relationship is unhealthy. And there's many data that says that and people understand. But I think dependence is a tricky word because there is a distinct difference between codependence and co-desire. Mm-hmm. As a partner in a relationship, as a male or a female or a man and a woman, you can co-desire for someone else's presence, for each other's presence and each other's uh, love and affection. I think that's fine because you're mm-hmm. desiring. But when you say you're codependent, that means your survival needs. You need it, yeah. Like you need the other person and you don't need mm-hmm. the other person. Um, so I think it's the reason why what you're speaking to, whether it's your roots of spirituality or your practices, is from within. Yeah. Because when you're being, when you're within yourself, when you're by yourself, you don't need anything. Yeah. But you still have your desires. Yeah. You know? And Aiden talked about this in a few episodes earlier where he talks about the tendencies for people to reach dopamine fatigue. Where we talked about social media for that episode where we talked about the downside of comparison syndrome by using on social media, you're mm-hmm. always comparing yourself with someone else in a more exotic locations. Yeah. And he said that, I've never heard this before, but he described it as you are constantly reaching this um, dopamine high mm-hmm. through all these comparisons and all these pictures so that you're unable to, and you have the inability to reach the dopamine in real life, Yeah. right? And I think that dopamine fatigue also applies to materialism because of what I realized throughout my first, second, third year of practice in minimalism is, first of all, uh, decision-making fatigue is a very real thing and you're very indecisive. Yeah. So it's almost like you were born to be a minimalist. <laughs> I'm not it as, it's, it's amazing. And I, I'm not as indecisive as like you are from what it sounds like, yeah. but whenever I go to restaurants or whenever I decide what suit I wear on to the office, I have a three different sets of suits and I just switch out the shirts and the tie or the pants combo, but yeah. to three suits. And it's, it makes my life easier. Mm-hmm. And for people who's interested, there's a lot of interesting articles and research about decision-making fatigue where basically says that everyone has a finite amount of decision-making throughout yeah. their lives. 
and the more decisions you make for that day, uh, by the time you're at 9 p.m., you're stuck spending 30 minutes picking a show versus actually watching a show because you can't, neurologically capable (laughs) of making decisions. But I do want to preface all that by telling people that at the end of the day, you should always pick if that suits your lifestyle or not. Because for some people, minimalism isn't going to be fitting or service of your lifestyle. leave you less happy. Or it might make you less happy. But for people like us, where we don't have that much attachment or I don't find a lot of utilities in my materials because I'm not too fashionable and I just don't care. Mm -hmm. But for people who is in the fashion industry or designers or people who care about the materials, not for the sake of materials, but for what they actually represent, minimalism might be a huge disservice. Yeah, that's a really good point. I just want to chime in and say, like, I think... There's also so many different categories of clutter and things that we can like possess in large quantities. So like when, like for me, for example, I don't have a huge wardrobe. I don't have a lot of different clothes, but I have like a bajillion Spotify playlists and like <laughs> I have no intention of going through and organizing them. And like, I also have a lot of books, like physical books are really hard for me to get rid of. I recently like was able to get rid of a box, but the only reason I was able to is because in my apartment complex, the laundry room has a bunch of bookshelves that people can just donate books to. So I subconsciously know that I'm still within reach of those books if I want them, (laughs) which is so bad. But yeah, I think that's just to say, that's a good point that like, you can't force minimalism on anyone. I do think like in general with clutter, everyone would probably be better off if they had like less clutter. But like you said about like possessions, things that as Marie Kondo would say, things that spark joy, if you don't have any of that, then I, I do think that could be a problem. A, that's a great show. Uh, that's on Netflix. For <laughs> I read the book. I haven't seen that show yet, though. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, I think uh, the pop culture in the U.S. Western society are starting to have a slight shift from the materialistic, capitalistic approach yeah. to see whatever that truly suits you. Because like, I'm sure all of us can relate. I honestly can't remember the last time I felt that spark of joy from purchasing or adding something onto my resume of assortments of lists. Yeah. But like I said, it, it served us really well, so I'm still a practicing minimalist. But at the end of the day, you have to experiment, you have to try, which is the whole uh, ethos of our podcast. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I totally agree, guys. I think the big idea around minimalism for me is like if it serves or if it doesn't serve. And I think that service can change depending on circumstance in life, what's kind of going on. It's not inherently good or bad. It serves certain people at certain times and disserves other people for certain times. So kind of from there, I'm definitely curious about the initiation, kind of where this ethos of minimalism came from. And for me, it really comes full circle with your experience internationally. Do you think living in those countries shaped your minimalist perspectives or ideas? Yeah, I, I definitely think it did in a few different ways. But I guess for me, the the thing that has been the most impactful that I've that I've thought about a lot is this idea of comfort, because I, I just noticed that when I'm For example, when I first got to Senegal, it was a bit outside of my comfort zone. I didn't speak the language. Everyone around me was speaking like what sounded like gibberish to me, but I eventually learned French, but like, especially in the beginning, it was really difficult because every day was a challenge. Like as soon as I got there, I had to like walk and try to find a cell phone to use. And I had to like try to speak French, even though I couldn't really speak it. Everything was just uncomfortable. 
we didn't have a washer and dryer, so we had to like wash clothes by hand. No like dishwasher, so we had, you know, like that kind of stuff. I don't want to sound like, I was definitely privileged. I was living in a house, like I had a lot more than a lot of other people do. But just that feeling of like having to really work towards things, like having to just take extra time. For example, like I needed to then build time into my day to like wash my clothes or to like go to the market and find food, whatever. But then coming back to the US, everything felt so comfortable. Like I could just throw my clothes in the washer and it would be done in like whatever, an hour. Or I could throw things in the dishwasher. I could just go to the grocery store and have like all the food I wanted right there. I didn't need to go to like a bunch of different markets or anything. That comfort felt really weird at first. Like one reason is because I couldn't stop thinking about like the family I stayed with who had to go to the fields to harvest their own rice when I was standing in Costco with like sacks of rice in front of me. It just started making me think about those things. Like everything comes so easily here. I've just, I don't know, I've just been thinking about this idea of like purpose coming from like hard work and putting time into things. And it's a lot harder to have a sense of purpose when you live in such a comfortable environment because you can get everything just like that. Another like small example is like when you go camping and you have to like make a fire and you have to find water and filter it and cook your food over the fire. I think everyone loves that and feels so connected because they, I'm speaking generally, not everyone does. I admit that, but I, I feel a strong sense of purpose when I just go camping for the weekend because every meal I'm like putting effort into and when you eat it after like a long day of hiking, it's like so much more fulfilling and gratifying so i think there's some idea that ties into like minimalist but also not being too comfortable every day and putting in hard work and i think that's important too i mean it's really evident the energy or like the work that's going into those things give you like a deeper appreciation for it yeah exactly um which i mean i would imagine definitely comes from those international experiences and bridges into everyday life kind of shapes how things mm -hmm. are yeah. right now so kind of in that ethos, you've definitely experienced a lot and have some insights that I think are pretty unique to someone living in DC currently, obviously the whole international experience. So with all those things considered, your life experience, if you were to have a mentorship program and you had, whether it's teenagers, 20 year olds, but you were able to kind of give them some advice or some insights that would hopefully allow them to navigate the life that they have ahead. What are some of those advices that you would give them? <laughs> That's a good question. Gosh, I think I think the first thing I would say is like trust your gut, follow your intuition. I know we talked about this a lot, but first trying to figure out when you know what your intuition is telling you. So like we said, meditating, getting quiet, getting still, and really paying attention to how you feel around certain people. Like certain people might light you up, certain people might like kind of drain your spirit trying to tune into how you feel around people and trying to surround yourself by people who do like really lift you up because you know they say the people we surround ourselves with have such a big impact on ourselves and how we are so i think it's really important to just be surrounded by like like-minded i'm not saying you have to be only surrounded by positive people and to ignore negative energy i don't believe in that i believe like negative feelings are important it's important to feel that it's important to just be around people who are 
good around, I guess I would say, to simplify and to just follow your intuition. And the hardest thing is just trying to not focus so much on what other people think. That's something that I still struggle with, but um, just trying to focus on pleasing yourself before anyone else. Definitely all super important. There's a quote that I'd like to share before our last question, but uh, Jay Shetty shares it in his book and it's the idea of, I think I am what you think I am. Right? Mm, so it's yeah. like, we're almost like in that double lens of perspectives of thinking yeah. about ourselves as what other people think about us. <laughs> That's yeah. so true. So that I felt like really tied in what you kind of shared and just yeah. really encompasses it in like a very small phrase kind of deal. And it's something that, you know, we all have to be aware of, but then also like work through in a lot of ways. And that's an ongoing process. Yeah. And they say, it's like, when you look at other people, it's like, you're looking into a mirror because you're seeing what they see in you. And it's hard to break away from that attachment to what they see in you versus to what you see in yourself. And it's kind of, it's hard to do, but like trying to ignore what others are thinking because that's ultimately a projection of like what they're feeling and to focus on like what you actually view yourself as and to construct your view of yourself in a different light. Whoa, my head hurts. After, <laughs> I think I need to uh, sit down and meditate yeah. for two Well, Aiden dropped that truth bomb. I was like, whoa. <laughs> I need to spend some time to construct all that. What just happened? Uh, but yeah, quite literally what, what comes in my mind is the perception of what you look like to other people is literally and biologically different from what you actually look like. We've heard that before, right? That's yeah. why sometimes the pictures look different and that's why people say the most accurate representation of your actual look is when you combine two different mirrors together in the middle and it shows the reflections because of the lights with the shadowing. Mm. So when people see you and the, this idea and the framework of what you look like, Natalie Brown, to other people, it's literally different than what you look like in yeah. real life. So there's that gap inheriting so. Um, but also I think this is what I share to my clients on my day-to-day -day work is that I always tell my clients who I service at the end of the day You know yourself more than anyone else does yeah. more than your mom more yeah. than your dad more than your spouse more than anyone You yourself knows your, knows the stories knows the circumstances knows yourself the best So why would you negate your own thoughts and your own belief for other people? Yeah, exactly so, I just want to say, following off that, I love what you just said, and it reminds me of this this idea that like you are the only person who's with you from the moment you're born to the moment you die, and like only you have experienced everything you've experienced and lived through everything you've lived through. Literally, no one else, not even like the closest person to you, has had all those experiences. And to me, that's why it's so important to to value other people's opinions and beliefs, no matter how different they are from your own. And this is very timely with the election coming up in a couple days. And it's hard to do sometimes because we get so polarized against what other people believe, especially when it comes down to moral issues, issues that we think hold like moral values. Like I'm not going to even name them, but it's hard to, to say like, Oh, wow, I understand where you're coming from with that belief when someone has a belief that's just like so out there for us. But it's so important to do if we want to bring people together and stop having all this like hatred and fighting because ultimately each single person on the planet is the only person who's been with that person from the moment 
they were born to the moment they die and no one else can understand why they have those beliefs or those perspectives. And that's another reason why it's so important to please yourself first because you're the only one who's going to be with you for your whole life. So why not at least make that person happy? <laughs> that's uh, yeah, super powerful. So with that, we would like to close out this week's episode with the question that we end with. Uh, with the ethos and the intention of our podcast to discover more about life, we would like to challenge you for the guest to discover more something within your life. It could be personal life, professional life, and only you will know what to discover more about. So you don't have to share that with us, but that's a challenge we'd like to leave you with. And also, what's one thing that you'd like to challenge our listeners to discover more about in their respective lives after listening to this week's episode? That's a great question. Um, and I think what I would challenge others to discover more about, am I understanding that correctly? Like what, I, yeah, I, I would say try to discover more about any friend you have, anyone who shows up on your Facebook page that you decide to block because you can't stand what they post. Like anyone who has such different beliefs from your own, I would challenge you to discover more about why they have those beliefs and try to do it in a way that's civil. Like try to just have a conversation, put your ego aside, put your own preconceived ideas aside and just try to talk to them. And you know, it's like talking about why do you have that? Why do you prefer chocolate ice cream over vanilla? Like try to take it with a grain of salt, even though they are really probably really important moral issues. Just try to put yourself in their shoes and understand why they came to those beliefs. I think that's like the least we can do, even if we disagree, like, like, okay, thank you for sharing that. I, ex I respect your opinions that you have your own opinions, but just really trying to like reach out to the other side and understand why they feel that way. No matter what your beliefs are, especially with everything happening this year and with the election and it's, it's crazy times we live in. I don't think there's any harm in like seeing each other as humans and trying to understand each other a bit more. Definitely. Amazingly said, I think the understanding is like that centerpiece and it's not talking to people to try and change their mind. It's yeah. talking to them to understand them as people. So yeah, deeply appreciate that insight as well as your time for the last couple hours talking to us on Discover More. It's been a absolute pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much. It was so fun doing this. I'm so excited to, to hear this podcast afterwards and to see where else you guys go because I love listening. So thank you. Yeah, uh, thanks for being on the show. And to the listeners, we encourage you to lean into your inner humanity, lean into that power of understanding to discover more something about. And as always, if you have made it to this far, thank you for listening. And until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Discover More. We release a new episode every Monday on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And would really appreciate if you have subscribed and shared this with your friends. We hope you enjoyed this episode and join us next week in the journey of discovering more through intentional dialogues.